Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Mark ten forty six. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he rebuked him, told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you are passing us by this morning. You are in this room just as you were then, and you are asking us the same question What do you want me to do for you? And so, God, we open our hearts to that question and to that invitation. You want to break through in our life. And we want to open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are three weeks into our series on Breakthrough, which has been a study for us into this Jesus phenomenon called revival. We started with the first week on why do we need revival? We looked at Ezekiel 37, and we explored the dry places, the dead places in our life that only God is going to breathe life into. Now, that's not an easy thing to come to terms with in our life, but when we do, we open ourselves to God doing in our life what we could never do for ourselves, and that is the gospel. The second week, we talked about what do we mean by revival? When we say this, what are we talking about? So we looked at a definition together. We unpacked it line by line. It's in your notes right there at the top of the notes. I put it there for you just so you can have it. A season of breakthroughs and word, deed, and power that ushers in a new normal of kingdom experience and fruitfulness. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk about, okay, how do we prepare ourselves and follow Jesus into revival? All right, we see Jesus, there's dry places, we see what you're talking about, what you want to do. How do we actually respond to him and follow him into the revival that he wants to bring in our life? Because Jesus wants to revive you and me, our community And he's going to be doing that for eternity, meaning he's going to be taking us to greater and greater heights of life in eternity with him. And he wants to start right now with you. So I want to start with this quote by Tim Keller. I want to bring our friend, old pastor, writer Tim Keller. Look at this great quote here. He writes, so revival is not a historical curiosity. It is a consistent pattern of how the Holy Spirit works in a community to arrest and counteract the default mode of the human heart. And I want to draw your attention to those two words, consistent pattern. There is a pattern in how God works in our life. Not a formula, 
Not like it always looks like this, 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 and this, but a general shape and a form to how Jesus leads us into breakthroughs in our life. And we would see this all throughout the scripture, but we're going to use Mark 10 to try to identify this shape. Let's go to the next slide. Here's the general shape that we're going to unpack with Mark 10 and Bartimaeus. But let me show you that this is not a one kind of, it's not narrow just to Bartimaeus or just my own experience. This is the whole pattern of scripture. We see it in Jesus's life. For example, don't go to the next slide. Just hold it right here. For 400 years, the people of God had been waiting for a Messiah and they were experiencing a good dose of holy discontent. God, when are you going to come? When are you going to fulfill your promise? And they waited and waited. When Jesus shows up, there's a lot of excitement and enthusiasm through his teaching, his miracles, and his signs and his wonders. And there's a buzz. There's an anticipation and there's this faith rising in the people. But then Jesus starts talking about his death on the cross. And that confuses his followers. He begins to talk about how we too have to die to ourselves in order to live his, this new life. And we begin to hear rumors about the Pharisees plotting his death. And then we get to hear where the thing we thought God would never let happen happens and Jesus is crucified. And everything that we expected was going to happen is shattered. But then, on the third day, rumors start spreading that Jesus is alive and he is among us again. And the disciples see him. And then at the top at Pentecost, the disciples begin to tell the world that Jesus indeed is risen and that there is salvation in anyone who puts their trust in him. Come on. There is the gospel. But Jesus wants to walk us through this process so that he can break through in us and through us so that his kingdom can come in our world. He died and rose from the dead, but he wants to bring his kingdom through you, through me, and through us as a community. And it means following Jesus through these stages of breakthrough. We could have put 12. I could have put three. I've got six stages I want to walk us through as we follow Jesus into the breakthroughs in our life personally. You ready for this? That was a tentative, yeah. <laughs> okay, I know you're ready. Let's hit it. Number one, holy discontent. Because if God's going to bring a breakthrough in our life, he starts with putting us in touch with the places of dissatisfaction, the dryness in our life, and it's what allows us or awakens us to our need for God. Because so much of our life, we are clinging to this need to feel like we can change our life on our own without God. And even as lifelong Christians, we find ourselves back in that place. I can do it without you, God. And we don't know we're there until God puts us in touch with a place of dryness or discontent in our marriage, in our dating life, in our finances, in our career, in our school. I don't know. It could be anything in our desire to have a child to see a loved one come to faith, and God begins to awaken us to our dependence and our need for God to do something that only he can do. And what a gift. Listen to what John Eldridge, or actually, let's go to Mark 10, 46. We see that with the blind man in the story. Verse 46, a blind man. That's how it starts, right? It, Mark starts us with where this guy's need is. He is blind. 
Oh yeah, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Where in your life is your need for God at its most acute? Where is God putting you in touch with your need for him to move in you and around you? That's where God wants to break through. Now listen to what John Eldridge says in this next quote. Another author, great statement. Christianity has nothing to say to the person who is completely happy with the way things are. Its message is for those who hunger and thirst, for those who desire life as it was meant to be. Do you see that phrase? Life as it was meant to be. When do we experience that? When we see things in the news that make us feel like this is not the way the world was meant to be. When we see injustice, corruption, death, and mayhem, when we experience it in our marriages, in our personal lives, in our friendships, betrayal, rejection, loss, something in us doesn't just go, well, you know, that's just life. When you're sick, you don't go, well, hey, I'm sick, but we, you know, everyone gets sick. No, we try to do something to make it better because something in us knows that this is not life as it was meant to be. That longing in your heart, you know, that desire for life as it was meant to be is from God. That is your soul longing for the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of God is breaking in life as it was meant to be, life with God. Mark 10, 51. Let's go to this next slide. Back to Bartimaeus. When we bring our discontent to God, it becomes holy. When we take our discontent and do it on our own without God, it is complaining. Good, old-fashioned, run-of-the-mill complaining. When we come into touch with our places of discontent and dissatisfaction and we don't take it to God, we are complaining and whining and throwing ourselves a big, super epic pity party. Anyone throw a pity party recently? Man, gosh, they're the best, right? Can really just get it on, you know, and just really just, woo, let me just settle into this. But when you bring your discontent to God, your complaining becomes holy. Isn't that awesome? That we can bring our complaints to God and he makes them holy. Let me explain to you how. Look at Bartimaeus. When Bartimaeus comes to him with his longing and his discontent, with his blindness, look at what Jesus says. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want? A lot of us are like, what do you want, God? And God's like, no, 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 no. First, what do you want? And when you're willing to have the courage to get in touch with that longing in your heart, and you're ready to answer God honestly about what you want, then you're ready for God to take you to the next stage. You ready? Let's go to the next one. Stage two is untested faith. Mark 10, 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When you begin to call out to God, that's faith. You guys, it takes faith to start calling out to God for whatever situations in your life. It takes faith to come to church. It takes some faith just to come here. But here's the important point. If all you have is holy discontent, that's not enough. Having raw passion by itself is not enough to get us to the place of breakthrough. We need faith. 
So where does faith come from? It's when you bring your longing and you let it intersect with God's word. Let me explain. When we allow God's word from the Bible to speak into our deepest longings, faith is born. Because we find out that it's not just something that you want. That's important. You got to want it. You got to be honest that you want this. You've got to trust God with your deepest desires. And when you trust him with it, then you're ready for the next part, the next element, ingredient. And that's what he wants. And the two together is called faith. What you want by itself is not faith. What God wants alone is not faith. It's what you want and what God wants coming together. Now you've got faith. All right, God. Because you find that what you want and what he wants are together. God can do something in your life. And that's what we got with Bartimaeus right here. What do you want me to do for you? I want to give you an illustration of my family. I had wanted my family when I was first a Christian to come to faith. I've shared this story with you. I wanted them to know Jesus. That's a noble desire, right? It's a good thing to want that. But as I was witnessing to them, it was creating more fights than it was healthy conversation. At one point, my brother, right after me, came to me and he said, you know, bro, he was not a Christian. He said, if this is what it means to follow Jesus... I don't want to have anything to do with it because I just see you and mom and dad fighting all the time. That struck me to the heart. And I was like, man, what am I doing wrong? And I began to realize that I was going to my family, trying to bring them to faith on my own strength, trying to convince them, trying to persuade them, arguing with them why they're wrong. And I was bringing into it my own need to control them I was bringing into it my own anxieties and my own fear of them not knowing God. And that was not faith. I had the right motivation. I had a good intention. But it wasn't fueled by a faith that comes from knowing that God is going to do what I can't do. And then I was reading Acts 16, because, you know, in those days I was reading the Bible. And I'm sitting there reading the Bible, just reading it through, and I happen on this story where Paul and Silas are in prison. Do you remember this story? So they do what any Christian would do in prison. They lead their jailer to faith, right? That's what we would do, right? <laughs> you know? So they're leading this guy to faith. And listen to this dialogue. The guy that they're leading to faith says this, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And listen to what they say. It really surprised me. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, when I read that, I'm not, it, it felt like that in my heart, like it was jumping off the page. And right in that moment, I heard God just speak to me, Ryan, I want your family to come to faith more than you do, and I'm going to do it. Right there, you see, it wasn't just what I wanted. It was what God wanted to do. Together, that brought faith into my heart. And I didn't have that angst in witnessing to my family. I was more relaxed. I was more patient. I was more gentle. I was more of a listener. And it, everything started to change then. So at this stage, you have faith, but it's untested. It's still full of your ideas of how God has to do it, when he's going to do it. And you still have too much expectation on what you contribute to the equation. And God has to purify that. He's got to clean that out so that he can show the world and you that it's really about him. And so go to the next slide. We want to go right here. 
I got faith, God. You're going to move. You're going to heal. You're going to bring people to faith, God. I, you know, this is right here. You got faith. I'm going to start praying every day. I'm going to read my Bible regularly. It's a new year every day. I'm going to read the Bible plan with the church. I'm in God. And then you think you're going to skyrocket to a whole new level of faith. Boom. I'm going to new heights with you, God. I'm going to new heights. Yeah, I just learned to surf yesterday, but I'm going to pipeline tomorrow, baby. Woo! And you think you are going to go out and get pitted and ride an epic barrel at Pipeline the next day. And when we do that with our faith, we used to open this thing up and we're like, right away, we're ready for the victory. And God's like, you know, no, 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 no. You got to go down sometimes before you can go up. So let's go to this next one. This is crucified hope. This is so important because crucified hope is about the path where God begins to put our expectations to death so that our expectancy in God can rise. Let's go back to Bart. Let me go back to the scriptures. Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus see, hears that Jesus is near and listen to verse 48. Um, he starts crying out to Jesus and it says that many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. He starts crying out and people are like, dude, will you just shut up? I'm listening to a sermon right now. <laughs> Can you imagine coming this morning and you've got Buzz and you've got Jim Doyle and they're at the door and they're like, whoa, 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 you. We don't accept your kind here. You're out of here. How would you feel? This is my kind of church. Oh, I like this. Making me fight for it this morning. Okay, Jim, I want to come in. No, you are a loser. Get out of here. No, Jim, I'm not. You know, what would you do? I think we would just be gone. And for good reason. So here's this guy. He starts crying out to Jesus, and people are like, shut up. This is where the circumstance, our expectation on the circumstances and on how it's going to go aren't met. And we don't experience God moving in the way we thought, in the time that we thought. And things seem to go from bad to worse. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there? When you feel like God is moving in your life and you feel that first flush of faith, I'm going to read my Bible, man. I'm going to start sharing my faith. And you get just a big old fat you know, slap in the face or a cold a glass water in your face. You know what I mean? Oh, man, God, you're going to save me and my household, and then my parents got divorced. Talk about a slap in the face. I thought, okay, well. And my whole family just seemed to fall apart. This is crucified hope, where it doesn't work out the way we thought. It's when God, it's hard to trust God when he doesn't do what we think he's going to do, and he doesn't do it when we thought, when he makes us wait. I want to talk about waiting for a second, because when God makes us wait on him, it tests and exposes where our hope really is. Let me explain. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for hope, hope and waiting are the same word. So in the Hebrew mind, in Jesus's mind, Learning to wait on God is the same as learning to put our hope in God because it's in waiting on God that what we really hope in is exposed in order for our hope to be transferred from ourselves, our circumstances, so that our hope is truly in God. When we have to wait, 
we begin to doubt that God cares, that he's in our life, that we have enough faith, that we're really loved by God, that we're really saved, that whatever. What's your little thought? When God makes you wait, and he's making you wait, not an hour, but a week, a month, a year. I waited six years praying for my dad. And in that time, you start to feel like, man, it's never going to happen. And you start getting tempted to quit. Have you been there? Right there is where you're at the end of your rope because your strength is not going to be enough. And that hard fact of reality is disillusioning and it tempts us to want to walk away from God. And that puts us into the crisis stage. Well, actually, let me show you Isaiah real quick. Isaiah 64, 4 and 30. Waiting. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Blessed are all who wait for him. And number two, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who get what they want right away. <laughs> like we know that's not true. But it feels like God makes us wait because he wants us to prove that we really have enough faith. And that's not what it's about. We'll talk about that. When God makes us wait, he's really exposing the places that we have put our hope in apart from God. That's all he's doing. So that he can position you to receive everything he's going to do. But we get tempted to quit. And that takes us to the crisis. Let's talk about the crisis faith of faith because I wanted to put out a big, huge myth buster. Anybody, I'm going to say something that's pretty definitive, and I think it pretty much stands. Anybody who's going to seriously follow Jesus in their life and never plateau and never stop and settle, but is going to keep growing, is going to have crises of faith. Let me say that again. Anybody who takes Jesus seriously and follows him is going to go through crises of faith. Going through a crisis of faith, not an indication that you have failed. It's an indication that God is stripping you away from an old faith that is no longer big enough for what God is going to do in your life next. That's all that it means. And if you are in a crisis of faith, don't let the enemy tell you you failed. I want to tell you this morning, you are at a crossroads for God's biggest breakthrough in your life. And I know because I've been through a lot of crises of faith. Don't think I stand here because my faith has just been pew. I mean, I had a little crisis last night. Just, just you know, with last night's service. This is not going right. We have our crises so that God can grow our faith. Let's talk about this. It's so important. I want to use a story from uh, a different person for this one. Mark 7, 27 is a story of a woman who wants a breakthrough in her daughter's life. She finds Jesus, and when she comes to him, she asks him to heal her daughter. Watch how Jesus responds to her. Verse 27, first let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, to you. Is, I mean, is that fit your picture of God? Like Jesus, compassionate, multiplying the loaves, Jesus, you know. Loving Jesus, does that just not mess with you? Just look at that. 
The crisis point is the point at which you are pursuing God. You are following him on this path of breakthrough. And he does things and he lets things happen that you cannot understand why he would ever do that. And you're tempted to believe that God doesn't love you, that he doesn't care about you, and that he wants to shut you down. It's in the crisis place that we're tempted to give up on God, to give up on what God is doing in our life, and to just walk away. Check this out. Mark 10.21. Someone was right at that moment with Jesus. It's another person coming to him for a breakthrough. And watch what Jesus says to them. This is so fascinating. Jesus looked at this guy. This is a rich guy who came to Jesus for eternal life. And he says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man rejoiced because God has shown him the way. (laughs) Yeah, man, Jesus, you gave me what I needed. You know, it's this moment where he's like, are you kidding me? You have got to be kidding me, God. How could you say that to me? How could you let that happen? I mean, these are real moments that you and I go through. Now watch how he responds. He went, at this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. The crisis of faith is the place you're tempted to give up and to say, you haven't answered my prayer. I don't see how you're moving. I feel like you're farther away. I'm just going to walk away from you and give it up altogether. And you'd give up. You guys, if you're going to really follow Jesus, you're going to have moments where you're tempted to give up. If you have not been tempted to give up in the last few months, you got to just ask yourself, am I, am I following him into hard stuff with him? Am I willing to go to hard places with him? Or are you staying in the comfortable place where you have everything under control, where everything is familiar? But if you're going to follow Jesus with him to the cross, it's going to get a little scary. If you're going to start to pray for things that you know you could never do on your own, you're going to feel like you want to quit sometimes. You guys, if you're there, I want you to hear this right now. You are closer to God breaking through than you even realize. Okay, check this out. Verse 48. I'm just, I'm just listening to God. Verse 48. Rather than shutting up, watch what this guy does. This is our example for this morning. Many rebuked him and told him to shut up, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Don't you love that? He's like, shut up. And you know, some of us, we just go, okay, I'll shut up. We get to a circumstance that tempts us to quit. And we go, okay, I'll just quit. You know what? And we settle for little thoughts like, God hears everyone's prayers but mine. My prayers stink. I'm not, a, I'm not 
God doesn't love me as much as other people, or God is not as real as I had hoped. And we settle for these lies when what we need to do is shout louder. We need to hold to God and say, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to give up. God, I'm going to hold on to you until you say, let go. I remember we were praying for a home as a family. Maybe you've heard this story. And it was one of those moments where I was so tempted to give up. We were praying for a home for 10 years. How about that for some waiting on God? And we were convinced that this home was it. Six months every day, I'm not exaggerating, except for Saturday and Sunday, every day, Monday through Friday, we prayed for this home. At one point, it was late at night, and me and my children were marched around the house with my son blowing a trumpet. <laughs> you know, right out of Jericho, if you don't know that reference, you know, forgive me. And we were just praying for this house, and don't worry, the house was a new house being built, so no one was in the house. And we were just convinced this is the house. It was a low-income house in Encinitas. And we were like, this is the only thing we can afford. This has got to be it, you know. And we were getting all these things in prayer that this is the house. And we were convinced God's going to do it. And we had so much faith until a friend of mine who knew the developer reached out on our behalf to tell us, hey, actually, bro, that house was sold months ago. Think about that. For months God just let us march around that little house. <laughs> Can you just see Michael, the archangel with God? God, there they are again. It's just getting awkward. <laughs> but it wasn't awkwardness when we got that phone call. It was devastation. And my daughter looked at me and she said, Dad, I thought God was hearing our prayers. Now, let me just pause right here. This is so important. Right here, I was so tempted to think, what a stupid dad I am. All I've done is set up my daughter to have a crisis of faith and lose her faith at nine years old. I was so stupid to bring them into this prayer time. And I was devastated. I just like, I don't, I don't want to go ask God. So I literally just did what I knew to do. I just went and I just met with God and I prayed. And I go, God, what do I tell my daughter? Because I want to tell her I was stupid and I was wrong. And God gave me something to say to her. And maybe you'll take issue with it. So maybe this is not for everything, but it was true for this moment. He gave me something to say. So I went and I told her, you know, sweetie, this is what I feel God wants us to get from this. When God doesn't answer our prayers, it's because he has something better that we can't see. Even now I say that, I go, ooh, is that, I don't, I don't know. But I told her that, and she's like, okay. What's he, get, what's, what's he got better? I go, I don't know, we're going to find out. We didn't quit. I'm like, I'm not going to quit. I'm taking a stand on hope. God, you got something. It's just not what we expected. And that's the part that you got to let go. You got to let go of what you expected, no matter how important that expectation was. You got to say, okay, God, I don't know how you could do this, but you do it. I'm going to let go of what I expected and hold on to you. That's Abraham. Look at this right here. Romans 4. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. I know we're jumping ahead, people. Thank you. 
So he became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the what? Okay, he faced the the fact that his body was as good as dead. How radical is that? Facts don't prove God is real, but they prove that we are not God. Facts are useless to prove that God is real, but facts are super helpful to prove that we are not God. And the facts we're in, you are not God. And you are not going to do it, Abraham. You've been waiting. You did the Hagar thing. That's not going to work. It's not going to be you. It's going to be me. And it's that right there that God is looking for in us. That's what he wants to get us to. That's where he's got to get you and me. And when God's people say, God, I will hold on until I am staring the fact in the eye that I can't do it. Because he's going to get that fact. He's going to march it into your room and it's going to stare you in the eye. And it's going to tell you, you can't do it. And God is waiting for you to say, I never could. I never could do it but my father can. Watch what it says here about Abraham. Look at this right here. It's so awesome. So he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. Isn't that crazy? And that Sarah's womb was also dead. When you can just face that in yourself, your strength is dead, you are ready for God to revive you. And now we're ready for revived hope. Look at this. Verse 49 from Bartimaeus' story. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you, throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Cheer up. He hasn't healed you yet. Cheer up. He's calling. Cheer up. You don't know how he's going to do it. Cheer up. You don't know where he's going to do it, when he's going to do it, but cheer up. Because God is coming for you. And he is right around the corner. That's revived hope. That's that next stage on the curve where you don't know how he's going to do it. You don't have the answers. You're just that fool trusting that God still does what we could never do on our own, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel in your life, to trust God in your marriage to trust God in your health, in your prayers for your family, for your friends that come to faith, the people that you could never imagine turning to God. It's trusting him for those breakthroughs and to do and to break through where you could never break through on your own. That is the gospel. And when the people of God begin to live with that kind of hope, the world sees God in us again. People of God. When the world sees us hoping like that again, that's when we get revival. That's when the world comes to faith. That's when God breaks through. Well, the last one. Last one. Here we go. Breakthrough faith. Mark 10, 51. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Well, go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I don't invite the band out. And as the band comes out, it takes faith to see the new thing that God's birthing in us, so he's got to take us through this process. Because when this guy prays to see the world again, he gets a lot more than seeing the world. He sees the Son of God. Do you see that? When he prays to see the world again, he gets, 
he opens his eyes and he sees the Son of God and he has an opportunity to follow Jesus and that is a new normal in his life. When I led my dad to faith, God opened my eyes. There's nobody God can't reach. There's nobody he can't save. God wanted to do more than just reach my dad. He wanted to take me to a new normal of expectancy. God, there's nobody you can't reach. And it was from that experience that God birthed a ministry of evangelism in me on campus for 20 years. Ryan, there's no one on that campus that I can't reach because if I can reach your dad, I can reach that junior, I can reach that sophomore. And it changed me, you guys. That new faith... It was not just for my dad. It was a new way of seeing every one of you. I was in Guatemala, in the prisons of Guatemala, and I would go up to the hardest-looking criminal, tatted. Man, this guy was ready to crush me and go, God, you reached my dad. You can reach Pedro over there. You're going to get Pedro. You're going to get Sergio over there. There's nobody you can't reach, and it changed my life because God wants to do more than give you a moment. He wants to bring you into a new normal of walking in his kingdom. Where is God assigning you that breakthrough? Where is the breakthrough that God's given to you to show the world that he is risen from the dead and ready to revive us again? Let's go into this song. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.